I'm Richard. And I'm Will. And together we're... The, the Irreverent, Irreverent Nerds! Hey, nerds! So, welcome to this week's episode of the Irreverent Nerds podcast. So, my co-host, Will, was unable to join us this week. Uh, he sends his apologies. Uh, he had some family commitments that he had to take care of, but... With me, I have two very special guests, uh, Lars DeCenza and Brandon Leva. Did I say that right, Brandon? Brandon yeah, Leva? Perfectly. Perfectly, yeah. <laughs> I, I, awesome. I, see, I see that you ask him if you say it right. Oh. You, you did say my name right, which is awesome. Oh, that's good. It's not that hilarious that, yeah. that the one that, that phonetically <laughs> spelled you asked. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no one ever gets my name right, though. That was crazy. You got it right. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, hey. Um, let's see. I'm going to attribute that to first grade phonics. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. I tell you, man, like phonics is, is good stuff. Like it gives you a good start in life. But yeah, uh, if we only had that when I was in elementary school. My goodness. I think I'd speak <laughs> a lot better than I do now and I wouldn't graduate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, thank you very much for having us on. Um, uh, it's, it's fantastic to be able to, have a community where you can uh, go on and do these kinds of shows with people. Um, you know, I, I've been in the podcasting business in one form or another for probably about the last uh, 11 or 12 years. So um, being able to actually meet new people, uh, use the internet for one of its main <laughs> main purposes, um, which was to have a, uh, have that global community. Uh, has been fantastic. So thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, nerds, uh, for those of you who've been uh, following along with the podcast, you probably remember that Lars DeCenzo was uh, our very first monthly supporter. So thank you once again, Lars, uh, for that. And uh, he's just been just a big encouragement over the last couple of months as we've got connected over Instagram. We've just been you know, shooting the shit and talking about podcasting and kind of the, the technical details of all that. So it's, that's been fun. It's been good to get to know you, Lars, and now Brandon as well. So, um, but yeah, tell, tell me a bit more about you guys, uh, about Redshirt Geeks and about uh, the Trechnicity podcast and how you all got connected and all that, like uh, whatever order you all want to go in. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Um, I, yeah, I, I, Brandon is the, uh, is the latecomer to the group. Uh, so I'll, I'll save him having to, uh, <laughs> to give too much of a breakdown, but, uh, um, I guess let me start with, um, as we were sort of talking before the episode started, um, I moved back to the United States from New Zealand, uh, after being away for, for many years. Um, and I had reconnected with a, a my childhood best friend, um, who we had always done like creative things when we were in high school. Uh, we had done our own version of a quote unquote podcast. Uh, and, you know, we just knew that the best thing uh, was to get back into it and to do that sort of stuff again. And, um, all right. We got it. We got a, we got, yeah, a special we, got guest. A, we got another special guest. My, right. my, da- my daughter is a, a regular on the on the podcast so <laughs> as she should be so that yep. you can you can use this uh in in the future and just show her see dad oh, had yep. right here from the beginning and she, and she's famous you know i'd be like this is where it all started your dad yep. talking to a bunch of nerds <laughs> uh, <laughs> nerds are going to rule the world you know so they already, they already, they already are. Are. i know yeah <laughs> uh bill gates uh, elon musk all those guys yeah uh for sure you know i i we kind of had done this thing where we were like, we, we know we need to do something. And the technology that was, uh, that was required to do an audio based podcast at the time was now becoming a lot more easily accessible. Um, in fact, back then, you know, we didn't do like, we didn't have things like zoom or I think Skype was barely a thing, but luckily we lived in the same small town together and, I was able to just walk a couple blocks down to his house and, you know, we uh, slapped on the computer. He, he recorded everything in, in uh, audacity. And then he kind of edited it all together because I tend to say um, uh, 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 a lot. And, 
yeah, so that's where we started. And from there, um, we had a lot of fun. We, we actually took that and moved it into a video based uh, sort of podcast where we did this silly little show called I tech you listen. Um, and then I made this uh, resoundingly horrible choice and went to film school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but by doing so, it kind of got me into the mindset that, you know, we can't keep doing it as the two of us, just the two of us, if we want to do more important things or bigger projects. So we decided, well, okay, uh, let's bring in a third person. And we knew that by bringing in a third person, the original podcast, which was called three by two, could no longer be called three by two because, and three by three just sounded silly. Um, so that was where the name, the red shirt geeks was born. Uh, July 21st, 2014 was when we launched our website and the group and the whole idea behind the Redshirt Geeks was not just doing bigger projects with more people. It was allowing us to build a community with, with like-minded people. Um, that has always been my forte is working with larger groups or, or working with groups of people and having that collaborative environment. Um, so we had the Red Shirt Geeks with a with a handful of people. Uh, we had a website. We had a podcast. We um, we did our our first. Um, we did we did a forty eight hour film festival challenge together, which was our first video. Please do not go look at our website and watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should see some uh, of my early ones. Oh yes, well we uh, we we have um, that movie has been colloquially dubbed the Mormon marriage video. <laughs> and uh, if you ever go to our website and watch it, it's the very first video in um, actually in our YouTube video uh, library. Uh, you'll see why. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's been this whole thing where I've always wanted to be a creator. I wanted to uh, share uh, my love for all things geek um, with as many people as I could, because I just wanted to connect with as many people as possible. Um you know, and as, as it happens, life gets in the way, you know, you get married, you get divorced, you have children, you move, you travel, you do things. Um, and so the red shirt geeks kind of just floated for a few years. You know, we just did little bits here and there. And, uh, it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles that, um, I kind of picked the mantle back up and decided that, you know what, I want to do a show all about Star Trek. I just wanted all of it to be about Star Trek because that was my thing. I'd always grown up with it. Uh, it was, it is still my favorite franchise. And I came up with the idea for Treknicity, which initially was just going to be a talking head video where pretty much like I'm doing right now. Uh, I sit here, talk with the camera about whatever I want to talk about regarding Star Trek. And as life happens, it gets in the way, things happen. <laughs> you move, you change jobs, you, uh, all sorts of stuff happen. You get remarried uh, and you move, uh, you move north of Los Angeles. Um, and that being said, I had just kind of let Treknicity um, float. Just sort of, I figured I'd pick it up when it was the right time to do so. Um, and then I met this schmuck here um, <laughs> and we worked together for a few months and like from day one, I knew I was like, this guy is a Star Trek nerd. He has died in the wool like me. I've got to get this guy yeah. to work with me. And bam. it was like instantly became friends and yeah. instantly bonded over Star Trek. <laughs> oh man. It brings so many people together. And uh, Brandon, I couldn't help but notice, and you may get this a lot. You bear a certain passing resemblance to a the boy <laughs> will wheaton have you, oh. ever got, have you ever gotten that <laughs> not will wheaton but <laughs> some, uh, i used to be a lot heavier and people used to say think that i was kevin smith <laughs> uh, i was at the beard <laughs> yeah. i've gotten uh, i've gotten zach galifianakis uh, oh, that's a good oh, one get yeah. It, yeah. Oh, gee, a little bit, yeah get it yeah, and believe it or not, he actually is, is from just up the road from where I live. So uh, yeah. he's got a, he's got a house about forty five minutes from here. Oh, that's uh, nice. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is kind of funny. But uh, uh, but yeah, I am a giant Will Wheaton fan, though. <laughs> oh yeah, he's really cool. Like I, I follow him on on the IG, as they say. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, he's. <laughs> you can't he's, say Instagram anymore. Oh, can you not? It's Meta now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, to you I, by Meta. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling. I'm telling you, I still, I still struggle with with how things, how simple things have changed in the uh, in the course of the internet's development, especially with social media. Before, before there really was social media. Um, you know, we had instant messengers. We had oh yeah, know, MSN messenger. You had uh, Yahoo. AOL. Messenger, you had AOL. You had ICQ. ICQ. Um, oh, I loved ICQ. And, um, <laughs> I was a Yahoo man myself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we, you know, whenever we wanted to express an emotion, you know, we used a wonderful uh, combination of keys known as uh, an emoticon. Oh and, yeah, mm-hmm. and for and then for some reason they just started calling it emojis, and I'm like, that sounds so less, much less cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, is that just a they just shorten it because they shorten everything? And then I realized, mm-hmm. then like it was like I was like today years old, and I realized they're two very different things. And emoticon mm-hmm. still exists, you know, because sometimes you you sit there when, instead of putting an emoji in a text or or a DM or, yeah. or whatever or in a post you actually put you know the the colon with the the, yeah. the closed bracket for a smile as opposed to <laughs> choosing that graphical smile emoji so you know i'm probably showing my age here but yes i mean i still do it the old school way just like you said semicolon yeah. <laughs> parenthesis oh, yeah. or a bracket <laughs> me exactly. too I'm, I'm i'm a child of the 80s like a millennial just barely just barely a millennial mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so like yeah like email was was the shit back when i was you know when i was a teenager like that was that was the thing it's like oh i can email so and so i i i i could i could go on and on about <laughs> what it was like having my first aol email account um and how exciting it was to come home from work in the afternoon dial in and log on and yeah. suddenly hear that you've got oh, yeah. mail <laughs> wow i've got mail somebody likes me no no <laughs> and then it was just uh, grandpa sending you racist jokes yes, <laughs> yes it was oh my goodness or, but uh, um yeah so we, we kind of did the you know i i got back into doing the whole treknicity thing because i met brandon i knew that there was somebody who i could bounce off of and have a conversation with about different aspects of what we're doing um you know he he came on board with me with with what did i, I get classing season four um because mm. seasons one and two were either me just rambling at the screen or um my uh my red shirt geeks uh co-founder patrick um basically uh picking apart the uh the movies um and then uh we had this wonderful uh thing happen where and i say wonderful in air quotes um where somebody had decided to do a very ambitious um star trek fan film and became the butt of every single joke because he uh, I won't say what he did because it's all alleged, but let's just say that um, it left um, the, 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 the fallout from that event left a very bitter taste in people's mouths. Um, and so I kind of like, I started off season three with this massive swear filled rant about this guy. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, I'm like, Oh, I, I gotta do, I gotta get away from this. This has become toxic. Um, I like my, 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 my fandom for Star Trek had become toxic and I started to hate the thing. The one thing that I had loved the most when it came to my fandoms. Um, Mm. so I did like another couple of episodes, um, for different, you know, different things. And I thought, no, I got to step away from this because I'm going to become, you know, very anti everything when it comes to Star Trek. And I didn't want to do that because it, it, it torpedoed my love for the franchise. Um, so I took a break. And then when I met uh, Brandon and we decided to pick it up and do it together, um, I just kind of said, you know what, we're just going to start with a new season. And um, we are now, I believe, at 11, uh, 11 episodes for season four, which is uh, mm. phenomenal. Um and we've uh well, yeah we've had a, we've had a great run so far we've been talking about mostly been doing uh episode recaps of um Picard and Strange New Worlds 
Um, but as we kind of get, get more into the groove and prepare to do a full, like, you know, season of five, when we get to it, um, we'll, we'll be moving on to other topics. Like we'll talk about, um, like we're doing now, we're going to, you know, we're not talking just, we're not doing just a, an episode recap, but we're talking about the messages that are communicated in these episodes. And yeah, that's kind of, uh, where we're taking it right now. You guys uh, familiar with the Mission Log podcast, the Roddenberry Productions? I I've heard of it. I haven't I haven't watched. Yeah, I it. haven't I haven't seen it. Or, I'm sorry, I haven't listened to it. Um, and um, so they they yeah. have been they've been going through. Oh, it's, it's probably four or five years in the running now. Every single mm. episode of Star Trek ever produced, like all the way back oh, wow. to the original series. Like mm. so, mm-hmm. just they'll do one episode a week. You know, so it's like you know 50 odd episodes of the podcast a year mm. you know so they can get through two three seasons mm. of, a, of a series in, in a year but yeah i think i i was listening to it pretty regularly for a while there but uh but yeah it's um i believe it is rod roddenberry i think uh, gene's son yeah. i believe is uh the one who kind of got it going and is like the executive producer yeah he took up the mantle yeah, and they um, but with the podcast, they they kind of do that where I mean they'll do a recap, they'll do trivia, but then they get into like I think the way they put it is the morals, messages, and meanings, and then they'll talk about does this still hold up, you know? Like hmm. say they'll even get into things like the production value from the eighties, you know, from you hmm. know a set on TNG, you know, and season one, you know, whatever. Like does it hold up? Yes, yeah. No. <laughs> but but do the ethics that they discuss in this does that hold up or you know et cetera et cetera and it's pretty cool and I, I like that approach to like digging a little deeper it's not just not just nerding out out about you know the i don't know yeah I, I like i think that's what a lot of people that really love star trek get into you know it for it feels like to me like like some of the the messages that are in it and just um i don't know they just they managed to address so many different important topics yeah it was just trying to make make the world better place (laughs) yeah i um i I listened just recently finished listening to um the audiobook of will wheaton still just a geek Mm. um Mm -hmm. and um one thing that he he kind of touched on and this is something that i've always loved about star trek is that um gene ronberry uh had a wonderful way of slipping social topics by the censors um, cause he's like, you know, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about the Vietnam war. You can't talk about racism. You can't talk about civil rights. And, you know, that's, that's a hotbed of top. You, you can't do that. We'll get, you know, they'll pull us off the air. And so he does an episode, you know, where, you know, two aliens, one who's black on one side and white on the other and the reverse on the other one. And, and suddenly it becomes this very thinly veiled, um, episode talking about uh, racism um and then there's you know the episode uh i want to say uh forgive me if i get the the title wrong but i think it's called uh this little war um and um and uh it was social commentary on the vietnam war Mm. um because it was basically people getting involved in in a conflict that really they had no business being in which is exactly where we were in the united states in the in the late Mm. 60s early 70s you know, we were in a police action in a foreign country that we had no business um, being in because, you know, our we were like, hey, uh, well, we, we, we think some some other people we don't like are getting involved. We better get involved. Yeah. <laughs> so, But it had no like when I when I say we had no business being involved, I mean so much that it wasn't a direct conflict Like nobody had declared war on the United States and yeah. vice versa. We were in the middle of a conflict between two other parties. Um, and which actually kind of is a little apropos for, uh, for today, given that we are recording this episode on Memorial day. Um, mm. But again, you know, one, <laughs> one thing that's wonderful about star Trek is they, they are able to um, really, touch on these socio-political topics that we all talk about in in, in uh, uh, closed circles but seem to become taboo when you discuss them in public oh man yeah and the yeah. episode we'll be discussing in a little bit here is, is certainly no exception like it uh, it's always been one of my favorite episodes of, of tng but re-watching it i believe it was saturday i re-watched it and 
it's like, wow, this is not only is it just so well written and well acted, but like part of what makes it so is that it masterfully deals with like very difficult ethical issues. Like it addresses Picard's PTSD and it it addresses like wartime ethics, like Geneva convention type stuff, you know, just it's, and such, and in such an entertaining and engaging way too. And, And that to me, like, that's what Star Trek is, is best at. And, you know, and obviously every series has their clunker episodes, you know, mm. like the, what was the one in TNG? Was it evolution where they're all like changing into, uh, <laughs> into uh, <laughs> monsters or whatever. Yeah. They're the back into rep- like lizards and yeah. Or yeah. the uh, infamous ju- justice episode. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let, let us not, let us not gloss over, um, the ghost the, uh, the episode from the first <laughs> season um which i you know the wonderful thing is i think i blinked <clears throat> its title out um but it's the uh oh uh code of honor <laughs> sorry mm. <laughs> we all want to forget that one but that is the um the episode where um you know i, I think i think somebody uh phoned in the script for that one because <laughs> they all missed just missed it completely how how blatantly racist um the entire storyline was especially mm. and and also you know um you know where they treated the 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 uh the people of this planet um as i guess almost caricatured african society and mm. and i don't i'm sure they didn't mean to do it but they ultimately just you know, poked fun at an entire culture, um, on, on you know, on international TV. Um, so <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have these, uh, they have these swing and a miss episodes. They have the filler episodes like, um, you know, the, uh, uh, shades of gray episode, which was the, uh, season two finale, um, where they weren't even sure that they were going to actually get renewed for a third mm. season. So they ended they were they were basically writing it in a way that if uh they canceled the series that they could they wouldn't get left with a cliffhanger so they had the the flashback the um uh episode where they you know Riker gets stung by this this creature on a planet and mm. in order to save his life we get to watch an hour's worth of oh yeah oh, yeah <laughs> i remember that yeah yeah um, well, well, hey, Brandon, while, um, while we're still in the segment here, I was going to ask this question to both of you, but I'll pose it to you first. Like, um, how did, what was your first exposure to Star Trek or your earliest Star Trek memories? Like, how'd you, how'd you come to start watching it? Uh, it was probably, yeah, it was uh, the motion picture. My dad and my uncle were like huge Star Trek fans. Um, they had watched the original series. Um, and my dad loved the motion picture. <laughs> and so like, if it ever, if it was ever on TV, we would watch it. Um, and then TNG came out and that was like, that was my Star Trek. That was like mm-hmm. the one that I loved the most was TNG. I remember watching that as a kid. Um, Cause I was like, didn't it, when did it air? It aired in 86, I think, or yeah, 88? Uh, it started in 87. Yeah. 87. 87. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I was nine when it came out. So I was like right at that perfect age. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, mostly my dad, and my uncle, mostly my uncle. My uncle's a huge fan. Like him and I still to this day, I was just hanging out with him Sunday and we were or, no, on Saturday and we were talking about Star Trek. <laughs> we were nice. talking about Rathacon. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like, um, so it would have been my uncle. We watched all the movies, like whenever we got together or hung out as a family, like he would put on the all the movies. Um, of course, his favorites were. <laughs> the original cast yeah the original yeah. movies or the, all the new movies that they made with kirk and everyone um so i've watched a lot of those uh, but tng that was my i watched that as a kid that was my series picard so that's where i that's where my love of star trek came from nice how, how about how about you lars like how did you first get introduced to star trek well, mine is probably the same story that a, a lot of um, middle-aged men would say these days. And that is, um, you know, I was, uh, I'm 
I was born in the uh, mid seventies. Um, and, you know, I can remember from, you know, like three or four years old watching reruns of the original series with my father. Mm. Um, and I had always kind of, you know, loved Star Trek uh, as a franchise, you know, as I was growing up. Um, but I kind of drifted away from it a little bit when in my uh, sort of my early teen years, um, and I actually almost missed the entire first season of TNG um, because I was one of those guys who went home on Friday night and instead of watching Star Trek The Next Generation, I watched Perfect Strangers. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, Cousin Laddie and Balky. Um, and a friend of mine at school was like, hey, man, have you been watching that new Star Trek show? I'm like, what new Star Trek show? Well, it's called The Next Generation. I'm like, no he's like dude you gotta watch it and of course i'm like and now i look back on it i'm like uh-uh <laughs> so, might, might be a blessing in disguise that you missed yeah. most of the first season <laughs> yeah but the thing is going forward like from that point like i wa- started watching i think i caught it um i caught it towards the uh towards the end of the first season um and then i was able over the summer i was able to catch up the entire first season in reruns um, um, you know, for you kids out there, there was a thing <laughs> called reruns where you uh, didn't yes. have a DVR and yep. <laughs> excuse me. Um, you didn't have a DVR. You didn't have on demand programming. You either watched it, uh, where you aired, missed it or you missed <laughs> it. And if you're lucky, you got it, got to catch up on and over the summer during reruns. Um, so Am yeah, I- and, and and that was for me. That was like after I went back and watched the first season. As as bad as the writing was, and you know, how it was a lot of recycled stuff, and you know, and how you know we had young Will Wheat saying lines like, "We're Starfleet. We don't lie." You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I like that episode. Know. It was somewhere in the first season that I referenced that earlier when I was mentioning you look like Willie Wheaton a little bit, Brandon. Is like the first half of the episode, everyone who's referencing Wesley Crusher is calling him the boy. You know, yeah, the boy. Like, Picard's like, where's where's the boy? It's like Riker's like, the boy's over there. No, it's it like his name is Wesley. Like, come on, come on man. Like, it's like the boy. I was like. <laughs> Like I understand you have twelve hundred people to look after, but you can remember <laughs> one, especially yeah. since he's the since he's the son of your best friend. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah, whose death you're responsible for? No. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, so yeah, so for you know, I always go back. Uh, the next generation is still my favorite series to watch. Um, I can watch it. I can watch it anywhere. I can pick up any season anywhere and just roll through it and and mm-hmm. be happy. Um, that's kind of my Star Trek happy place. Oh man! And in our last minute here, this this segment, I'll, I'll say it, similar for me. Like um, I was born in the early '80s, and I don't remember exactly when, but it was sometime probably late '80s in in that range, early '90s. And similar to you guys, like I watched it with my dad. Um, my dad's always been a sci-fi fan. Like he grew up during this, you know, the space race and everything as a kid. So mm-hmm. he just like loved astronomy and stuff and, and science fiction. And of course he saw the original Star Trek on its first run, you know, kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, obviously TNG, when it came out, you know, he was watching that um, pretty much every week. So I, I do remember catching a few episodes with him, and, but yeah, it's like, yeah, that's a cool touch point. And uh, just not too long ago, I started rewatching the series a little bit with with my dad and uh, it's been a fact we need to get back to that uh it's still to this day is the only series i own the entire thing on blu-ray that, that's it i don't, mm-hmm. don't have any other series uh in full that's the that's the one oh, nice <laughs> can't, can't afford to buy any others to be honest with you but that's if i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. buy one i was like that's it that's it. this episode is brought to you in association with the red shirt geeks the home of old men gaming and tricknicity Join them weekly as they play games, talk about all things geek, and share in the wonders of all our fandoms. Visit them at redshirtgeeks.tv, on Twitch at redshirtgeeks, and on Instagram at redshirtgeeks and at trechnicity. And we are back. 
So we're going to jump right into our main topic uh, for this episode, and that is the Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5 episode, I Bored. So before we talk about our impressions and and what we thought about the episode, I'm going to read a little synopsis here on imdb.com. So it says, the Enterprise finds a lone Borg drone separated from the collective and brings him aboard. The drone begins to reassert his individuality, but his presence causes differing levels of fear and sympathy from various crew members. This episode is directed by Robert Letterman, writers Gene Roddenberry, Renee Echevarria, and Brennan Braga. And obviously the main cast is, is there for it. I believe everybody from the main cast is in the episode at different points. And then with a special guest, Jonathan Del Arco as third of five, a.k.a. Q. So that's just a little bit about. Another fun fact, it aired in May of 92, which uh-huh. means this was 30 years ago. <laughs> Dang. Well, that's yeah. perfect. I didn't even, didn't even think about that. <laughs> and the funny thing is, if you guys want to know just how old I am, I graduated on this day 30 years ago. Uh, let's see. Three years. I was I was nine, I believe. <laughs> I graduated oh. three years after you, Lars. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're not we're not all too far apart, but a little bit of a no. spread, spread there. Um, but uh, just something to take away from uh, from uh, what you just uh, read out there. Um, uh, one of the names on there um, being Brandon Braga, hmm. um, you know, big has been, you know, has, has been highly involved in Star Trek from TNG as a writer all the way up to like, you know, um, a showrunner in enterprise. So, you know, he's like him or not, he, he's got a, quite, right. a, quite a petty yeah. with Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen a number of uh, behind the scenes interviews with him over the years and uh, yeah, he's, he seems pretty cool. And, uh, I don't know if he's been, in, I haven't paid attention if he's been as involved in some of the more recent stuff like Discovery or Picard. But, um, but yeah, I know, no. like you said, he, he was up until at least Enterprise. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I don't think, I think he uh, was done at when Enterprise finished. Uh, he and Manny Cotto um, finished out season four of Enterprise and that was, that was it. I don't, I don't think he's been involved at least in a, in a uh, significant capacity for any of the uh, the what would be dubbed new Trek series. Yeah, maybe maybe more just consulting role, if anything, kind of thing. Like, yeah, it is cool to see some of the uh, TNG alums coming back to direct episodes. I mean, obviously Jonathan Frakes heavily involved. Lavar Burton, I've seen him pop up a few times on on different episodes, and uh, <laughs> they. I don't know if they ever brought Gates McFadden. Like she got to direct like her one episode back in TNG days, <laughs> which ironically, I don't know if you guys have heard her talk about this. Like she, um, she was the only cast member with directing experience. And yet somehow the men got first dibs on the, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's the, I think it's the chauvinist nature of, of the business that, um, you know, that we, that existed for a long yeah. time until we started seeing, um, you know, more uh sexual equality um appearing um as we've seen sort of in the last few years um, yeah it's, it's kind of like the behind the scenes had to get caught up to uh the in front of the camera stuff you know what i mean like because there were definitely those messages in star trek itself but yeah sad that it didn't always live up to that behind the scenes but yeah that, that's a, another topic for another day as they say equality <laughs> in star trek um, oh, yes. if, I, if I ever do address that one, um, in addition to having you guys on, I, I definitely need to get some women uh, on the podcast. Yeah, as we well. all just men <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> no, it's like, let's talk about female equality. Yeah. In Star Trek. yeah. Three, <laughs> three white men. Um, three, three, <laughs> three white men. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. No. Hang on a second. Actually, uh, uh, you, it's funny you bring that up because uh, uh, later in uh, June, um brandon and i are going to be appearing on um twin cities trekkies podcast and we are going to be we're not going to be talking about sexual equality but we are going to be talking about diversity so um that's going to be interesting because again it's going to probably be three white guys (laughs) talking about diversity in star trek so um i will certainly have to um, broaden my horizons just a little bit more just so i don't sound like a blathering idiot 
Oh yeah. No, it's, it's good to, to listen more and talk less and, and those kind of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so let's see, I bored. So I guess we'll start off with this question. Like, um, I think, I don't, I don't know if you did Lars, I think each of us have rewatched it in preparation for the, or maybe it just had been recent enough that you're like, I got this, but let's um, just, let's just say that I did. <laughs> I will say that you did, but anyway, like do you guys um, just from, from your memories of it or from rewatching, like, did you have a scene that you thought stood out the most to you from the episode? Well, um, if, if you don't mind, Brandon, I'll, I will, um, I'll step mm-hmm. in there and answer first. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the, the one thing, the, the one actual scene in this um, uh, episode that struck me the most was at the very end. And that is when the drone from the, um, the Borg cube shows up to collect him. Um, and just as they're beaming out, he looks over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like to me, right there, that summed up the entire episode. That summed up the the title of the episode. Um, you couldn't say it more clearly than in that one moment. Oh, and that that was so beautifully filmed too, because like enacted, it was like no words. Just he gives a look, and then Jordy reacts. And yeah. I don't know if I don't know if they did double coverage on that, and and recorded their reaction at the same time it'd be cool if they did but yeah brilliant acting on, on both of their parts and, and directing too uh, by uh mr letterman but yeah i agree that was a powerful moment yeah that was a good scene. episode uh, how, about, how about you brand uh the scenes i liked there were definitely um the ones between picard and guinan i mm-hmm. liked how initially they both were so angry with the borg that they just mm-hmm. wanted to get their revenge. Cause like you said, Pete deals with PTSD. They both definitely have PTSD. She has it because the board wiped out her entire culture her oh, entire yeah. race almost. And then Picard, because he was assimilated. But then there is that scene where he brought the Borg on board and they're him and her are fencing and she has to teach him. A, she teaches him a lesson where he says like, um, well, we kind of felt sorry for him and we had to fix him up. And then like she feigns that her leg is hurting when they're fencing and he's like, oh no, are you okay? And then she like stabs him in the stomach and she's like, ah, oh, you felt sorry for me. Didn't you see what that got you? Like try always guiding, always trying to teach him some sort of lesson. Um, yeah. But at that moment, it was a lesson of we need to do something bad, but obviously later on they changed their minds. Um, I just thought that was a, a it was a good scene. Oh man, yeah, I agree. And um, it's um, I think the one, another Picard and Guinan scene, the one that stood out the most to me from the episode was the scene later on in their in his quarters. Um, you know, sexy Picard with his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with his his uh, chest hair showing. Uh, but no, no. Um, I'll, I'll um, joking aside, like. One, honestly, I think it's fair to say one of the best scenes in TNG history. I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. that, like, just powerful, powerful acting and, and writing there, and and just the emotion of it. You know, where she and obviously, any of you who haven't seen this episode yet. Uh, before we go any further, spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah, you, you've only <laughs> had thirty, 30 you've years, had to, 30 watch years to watch it. <laughs> I, I think I think the spoiler warning is is uh, is just a courtesy now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like we're like Guinan, even though, like you said, like she wanted to, I mean, she had it out for the board as well, was very wary and, and concerned about a, a lone board being on there. It says repeatedly, like the rest of his people are going to come for him, which she's right about. You know, they do eventually come. And, um, but then Jordy challenges her, you know, in that 10 forward scene and to go and actually talk to him mm-hmm. and she does and and uh you know kind of there's the humanization of of hugh there like where i believe both she I, th- I think she did i know picard and Worf definitely referred to him as it it uh, yeah it, i noticed that yeah i wrote that i think picard the longest like he up until maybe up until that scene with guinan i think he was still calling hugh it yeah um, 
and you know and she challenges Picard there and and you can see the anger like underneath the surface you know like because like I mean Picard like he, he gets a little bit of that self-righteous anger sometimes you know but you don't mm. often see the very personal anger with him and you definitely see it in that scene with Patrick Stewart just like it's just like boiling under the surface mm-hmm. there and, and you, you yeah. know, see that and and yet he knows he's like damn it she's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's I wrote that down where he says if you're going to use this person mm-hmm. he's like damn it it's a Borg and she's like if you're going to use this person you should at least talk to him yeah, I think um, one thing that most people gloss over is that, you know, the board don't recruit people, you no. know, you, you yeah. know, they don't have they don't have uh, recruitment posters, you know, join the Borg, see the galaxy, you know, it's no, every single creature or every single drone that is in the board collective has been conscripted, you know, through assimilation. Oh man, it's like if if a colony of bees suddenly became colonizers, you know, almost, you know, it's like they sting you and you become one of them. It's like, <laughs> right, and you know, you can't turn around. Uh, actually, um, um, District Nine is a really good. Uh, as much as I don't like that movie, it's a really good. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a really good example of that same philosophy, and that is you can't judge based on what happens to you um you can't you can't turn around and judge somebody based on something that or something that was done to them without their consent um Mm. you know you almost you almost can compare picard's feelings towards hugh um as kirk does to the klingons especially Mm. in star trek six you know because you know spock's like you know what do we do you know, and it's like, well, don't trust them, you know, don't yeah. believe them, don't trust them. Yeah, let, let, them them die. Die. let them die. <laughs> and it's like, you know, um, again, you look at you, you look at um, how we have demor- or dehumanized the Borg because they, again, they are, for the most part, from what we observe, mindless automatons. And so it's easy. It's easy to make them the bad guy. You're like, it doesn't matter what happens to them because they're just some nameless drone that has no feelings, has no attachments, has no personality. But in real reality, you have to be sympathetic of, of the creature that was turned into this drone. Um, mm. You know, and I think um, uh, sort of referencing uh, the best of both worlds, I want to say part two episode um it might have been part one forgive me if i'm uh soft on that one um but this the part where picard actually gets assimilated you see him shed a single tear yeah i was just thinking of that mm-hmm. i was like the single tear yeah. so um the morality of this whole situation is again i know we're talking about a fictional story but it has so many allegorical connections to us as humans mm-hmm. that it is easy for us to vilify something we don't understand or something we can only observe, you know, on a two dimensional level. Um, You know, you can't, you can never truly understand what somebody goes through, even if you go through it yourself, because perspective is individual and that's how they are able to turn around and in a way, explore the other side of what it is to be a board you know and of course the title is perfect for it Mm um you know one of the most powerful episodes of the entire series because they take something that that for the better part of three seasons you know it has been talked about in hush circles as that's the big bad wolf you know that's the scary monster of star of star trek and suddenly we're just like, what do you mean they're human? You know, what, what do you mean they're, you know, they had thoughts, feelings, they, they could be dis, uh, disconnected from the collective. What do you mean that we could have sympathy or even empathy for this person, this thing, this it? Um, mm. And, you know, um, it kind of turns the mirror right back on us and says, look, look, look at yourself and then look at this. Mm. Yeah, uh, I had a, a couple notes on on Picard here. Like the, 
the the psychology here at play you know with Picard's character throughout the course of this episode is, is fascinating to me like is he you know as you mentioned with uh, best of both worlds like he was a person who was assimilated then rescued and and just thinking about and I wrote this down uh, right after that scene that you cited a second ago Brandon where where Guinan starts to say I said if you're going to use this person and Picard interjects he's like it's not a person damn it it's a Borg you know and mm-hmm. just he, like stands up the, the dude's angry and and then I think I paused it and just was reflecting on that it's like it seems like, and I've seen this tendency just in in my day-to-day interactions with, with people as well. Like, it seems like to protect himself from trauma on some level, like he was dehumanizing his abusers, his attackers, which is understandable, you know, given what he suffered. But it, it's also interesting given that he himself was assimilated and then pulled out, you know, was rescued in a sense from that, that he didn't, it's interesting that he didn't have more sympathy for Hugh or more compassion for Hugh, given that he had been through. I found yeah, that, I found yeah, that interesting. That, that isn't, now that you mentioned, I didn't even think about that, but that's totally true. Like you would think that he would have more sympathy because he was pulled out of that and he knows what it's like to come back from, <laughs> being a Borg and having being connected to the collective and being disconnected from it. And yeah, you would think he would have had more sympathy for him. Maybe that was like a missed opportunity for them, or maybe they felt they didn't have time to discuss that in the episode. I I honestly, I kind of like the fact I like that you see some, some chinks in, in Jean-Luc's armor, if you will, Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty, pretty big chinks or, or uh, holes in the armor, if you will in this episode and um i just um i think something i I mentioned to you lars and and as we were like prepping and talking about our topic for this episode um one of the parallels that that at least i i was able to draw like out of that and like you said there's so many you know allegories but would be akin to someone getting pulled out of a really high control cult you know because in a sense Mm -hmm. like that's it's, it's a little different, but like, because <clears throat> there's a sense in which you, you, you at least feel like you have some agency going into a cult, but there's so much manipulation and coercion going on with these high control groups, you know, like, you know, whether it be your Heaven's Gate or your, you know, Jim Jones, what have you, um, you know, that you, in a sense, are getting assimilated. And then when you are pulled in, like you get love bombed, you get like surrounded and like become part of the family, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you ever try to leave, I think you even talks about that at one point, like no one leaves the Borg. I think he, I think he even says that. And um, it just made me think of that. It's like, and uh, I, I've talked to a number of people over the years who, who have left groups like that. And, and I could see where there, there could almost be like, maybe in a sense to protect yourself from getting sucked back in to the cult. Because you see Picard wrestle with that, I think even in first contact, yeah. some like the the temptation to go back, like when he's interacting with the queen, mm-hmm. like maybe on some level the dehumanization or like they're the enemy now is almost to protect himself from from that. I don't know, just just some thoughts I had on it, like some, some yeah. parallels that that I in my personal experience drew. I was like, um, seems te- tempted to do that because it's like you said, like <laughs> to go back into that collective where. You don't really have to think for yourself anymore. And you just like everyone's surrounding you, loving you. And everyone's like thinking the exact same thing that you're thinking. And like, there's probably some sort of freedom in that where you can just let go and let someone else take control. (laughs) Well, the funny thing you see is that Picard never really loses that sensibility or that attitude or perspective on the Borg from the time he was assimilated because he he likes to think that he has this level of um i guess um evolved humanity and even i mean it's a huge huge um point of discussion in star trek first contact when lily um takes him to task for killing ensign lynch um in the holodeck and he's and like you know she's 
turns it into the whole um, Captain Ahab chasing Moby Dick um, sort of um, allegory. Um, yeah, like she's his Guinan in that movie. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And um, so when you when you guys talk about how it, it was interesting how he didn't have more sympathy for Hugh um, because he was assimilated himself and was able to be extracted from the collective, I think he still he sees himself as a little bit superior to uh, like, he still sees Hugh as just a thing. He doesn't, you know, and that's the whole thing is he learns to a certain degree that, you know, this drone was a living creature with thoughts and feelings and, you know, and a life prior to becoming a drone. I mean, yes, technically, um, you know, Hugh was a young, uh, a young Borg. Um, you know, and they describe him as an adolescent. Um, so I imagine he didn't have much of a life beforehand, but still you would think that he would have more understanding, but then again, they do a pretty good job of, despite the fact that he does realize the, um, so-called error of his ways, um, you know, going forward, he still maintains that burned in, um, I guess, perspective or attitude towards the Borg. Um, you know, you can, you can kind of d- explain it however you want. Oh, it's just, you know, it's the writers decided to do this way, but whatever. And if, even if it was by accident and not even by design, it still flows very well and still lends gravitas to um, Captain Picard as a character because he will always remember that and you know he will always be haunted by it and no matter what his morals tell him his moral compass says you know this is a creature we cannot use him for for genocide um he still is going to have that you know they turned me into they turned me into one of them against my will um and i endured torture um the likes of mo- that most people will never see in their entire life. So you're damn right. I'm going to have that attitude um, despite him be able to be able to make the right choice in the episode end of this episode. They still allowed him to carry that prejudice. That's a good yeah. point. I, I was actually thinking about that yesterday. Like, is that <clears throat> I have to admit, like, I know this is not necessarily true for a lot of, uh, TNG fans, but First Contact was not my favorite TNG movie. It, I think in part for that reason of like it, it felt a bit like Picard's character went backwards. Like especially after rewatching this episode, I'm like, it seemed like he made a a big stride. Yeah, but just in in hearing you talking about that, Lars, I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's a little bit more like what real humans are like, because you know, because we may make strides and then go backwards again. <laughs> you know that happens. Yeah it's a real humans you know it's like we don't have this just like constant upward progression of moral progress you know you know nobody's right. life is yeah. like that we yeah. slip back into our old ways even if we don't mean to do it <laughs> yes yeah, star trek has always been um a neo-utopian um society or it, it is portrayed a neo-utopian society however you can never have um order without chaos um, you can never have peace without conflict. Um, and um, you think about it this way. I think for the most part that Picard was, was fine. Like he, he was okay with um, doing what he had to do, what he felt was right for humanity or for the, for the um, safety of the Federation. Um, but ultimately when he decides to do the right thing and send him home with the hopes that what, what he was able to achieve as far as consciousness goes, um, he would be able to take that back. And of course we do see that he did have uh, an effect on the Borg as a society. Um, when you go back and watch um, the two-parter episode descent um, later on. And then of course, Jonathan Del Arco makes an, it makes an appearance mm-hmm. in Picard season one as Hugh, um, which was great as well as a completely, um, um, uh, a de-assimilated or unassimilated Borg. Um, so you get to see a lot of that. But when you talk about how a character can still carry a prejudice, um, you, when you look at First Contact again, you see that when they tell 
when he like he has that has that sort of um dream within a dream sequence there at the beginning when he's um yeah thinking he's like he's thinking he's he's being he's still in the board collective and all this stuff and they tell him like you know the admiral calls him and says oh yeah no it's the board and he's even cool with that and knowing what he has to do until i tell him you can't go and fight the board you can't go because and it's the same way it's and if you want to liken it to like what we you know what we see in our everyday lives it's like saying uh let's say you um you commit a a minor crime in your youth you know you're 18 years old you do something stupid you know you you pay your debt to society and let's say 40 years later people are still holding out against you um i think that's where where that comes in um and i think in a way um picard did that to to hugh like he's like you did this because you're a borg not this was done to you and now you're Mm -hmm. a borg it is you did it because you are one and i'm going to hold it against you Mm -hmm. um and and we see that and again we see that play out further down the line yeah and um some some real world some other real world analogies that, that came to mind like and this one's a bit uncomfortable but like think about um you know back in the 40s 30s 40s some of the 18 year old nazi soldiers you know some of these guys like not all of them were there because they were like yeah like you know i'm, I'm in with hitler's cause like some of them are probably scared shitless and just kind of going along to protect themselves yeah others i mean hitler was in a sense like a cult leader you know others were just like kind of assimilated in a sense into that and just caught up in the war machine and um i'm gonna make a lord of the rings reference here <laughs> Dif- <laughs> different realm of nerd <laughs> but um i think of um it's really a powerful moment in uh, i believe it's uh, the two towers where this is the film i'm referencing like where faramir looks down at an enemy that he had just shot you know they had it's his job you know he's protecting the borders for gondor but um you know he killed one of the soldiers and, and he looks down and just comments like you know i wonder wonder what drove this young man to to come out here like what lies were told to him kind of thing and hmm. um it's just yeah it's just thinking about it like i said it's uncomfortable because it's easier to just be like oh all nazis were just this monolithic evil yeah but it you know it's it's more complicated than that in, in real life you know um yeah that's what they say he was a very charismatic leader like it was like a cult leader like people wanted mm-hmm. to follow him when he talked to them and it's like people well, get go down that road and like you said yeah but it, it, again to you know to tie in what you're saying to what we're talking about um, most people don't realize that um, soldiers who are in the Verbacht or in the Luftwaffe um, uh, were Nazis. They were just German soldiers. They were, they were fighting for their country. Um, they believed what they were told and they just went off to war. Um, and there were, yes, of course, there were people who were, who were part of the Nazi party and they they went along with everything. They, they bought a hook, line, and sinker. Uh, but again, mm-hmm. not everybody went along who fought were were I guess to uh, to make a Jim Jones reference. They weren't drinking the Kool Aid. Um, yeah. They were just fighting for for national pride um, because they had been convinced that these people were coming to to destroy their livelihood for no good reason. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we have we see the same thing here. Like it's. Um, you know, I, I think one of the coolest things that they were able to do with the Borg as a society later on, uh, and especially in Picard season two, is show that no matter how the the how the society um, evolves or grows or continues, there is and or how they operate, there's still that opportunity for them to grow out of that one dimensional um, thinking that they've been stuck in, you know, the, the, the board Queens have always said, we don't, you know, we don't, uh, we, we don't adapt. We assimilate, you know, we, um, we take everything. Yeah. We don't, we don't evolve as a species. 
we just take it all in and just add it to the pile and keep on yeah. moving. Yeah. Um, and this, this episode I feel is like the seed for that story or the seed for that, that eventuality. Yeah. And that's um, spoiler warning here for those who haven't seen Picard season two, much more recent, but, but yeah, that was something I wanted to tie into a bit like with, with what happened with, with Gerardi and like yeah. her, her conversations with the board queen and like the board queen obviously being in a very unique situation where she was completely cut off from all of her collective and alone. Yeah. Just so like I, you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you. So in a sense was in the, both in the most vulnerable state that, that she may have ever been in, but also receptive to, to hearing a different, different message or a different proposition like the one that Girardi makes there yeah i mean yeah it's a it's exact same situation that happened with you that that borg turned into something else something different <laughs> it, it started to, just like you <laughs> it had to it had to evolve you know with, yeah. without you know without doing so they would have never been able to continue on as a as a, a society i won't call them a species because they are they are a melting pot but um yeah. but as a society um they had you know we that, live in a society <laughs> sorry oh man <laughs> had to throw a side building <laughs> there we go <laughs> <We're there. laughs> sorry keep going <laughs> oh, no, um but you're uh but actually um uh again i think what we've seen now um that that story was the seed of, of, of the eventuality that, that came to be um, the Borg did eventually evolve, but it wasn't, wouldn't have happened if these events had not taken place beforehand. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Well, guys, we got uh, about four minutes left here. Um, I guess I wanted to, to finish with uh, talking about kind of the, the penultimate scene where, uh, in the episode where Picard brings Hugh into his ready room and they have this, this conversation where it, it didn't seem like to me like Picard planned on role-playing as Locutus in there, but when Hugh recognizes him, he's like, Locutus, um, yeah. Picard realizes the opportunity there and impresses his advantage in a sense, um, while also that being like an uh, amazing test of for Hugh, you know, it's like him like taking on the role of, of Locutus and, and trying to, to push Hugh to adhere to the Borg doctrine, if you will, of like assimilation, assimilation, resistance is futile. But then through that, like you see Hugh's, I don't know if Hugh is actually a human or not. Um, I don't, I don't recall what his species I, was. I believe he's human is he human okay yeah um well you see his humanity come to the surface in particular in his his concern for jordy his his yeah. friend and just want to give you guys a chance to comment real quick on on that penultimate scene there i'll let you go ahead and brandon i've, I've been dominating the conversation <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it's like his uh it's picard's like turing test like figuring out is this person a borg or is it a human hmm. um yeah, I mean, it was a great scene. It was just like him trying to figure out if uh, if he is still a Borg, like he thought he was. Um, but then he turned out he wasn't. He was turning into something new, turning into something more. Um, had, like you said, he cared for somebody else. It showed that he could evolve. It mm -hmm. showed that he cared for somebody, not himself, not for the collective. Um, it was a great scene. Uh, my, my last comment is that um he he guided him guided him um <laughs> like like wait a minute that was really good what you did there i'm gonna use that over here and, and it was just again you you got a real real quick um chance for him to say okay uh i am going to um i'm going to use this as an opportunity to to test whether or not I'm my thinking is right or wrong. And, you know, he, he used it exceptionally effectively. And as such, he was able to make the right decision. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I actually wrote down, I think the whole 
scene. It's like, damn, this is such good writing. Like, um, I'll just close with a little bit of it here and then we'll we'll wrap up. Um, but like QS Picard is like, must you know, he's talking about the assimilation. He's like, must Jordy be assimilated? Picard's like, yes. He does not wish it. Then he will die. No, Jordy must not die. Jordy is a friend. And Picard comes back very strong. He's like, you will assist us to assimilate this vessel. You are Borg. You will assist us. And here's the bomb. He was like, I will not. Uh-huh. And it just catches Picard. He's like, what did you say? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, what did you say? I will not assist you. And I actually wrote down here, boom. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Mike, <laughs> like, Mike dropped. Mike dropped. Yeah, you know, seriously. <laughs> you, you exit stage left. Peace oh, out, you know. Borg laugh. <laughs> no, no, the very end is like, I am Hugh. <laughs> you know. Beautiful, and, uh, beautiful way to end the episode or end, end that yeah. scene and lead us to the end of the episode. Speaking of end of episode, that I'm going to wrap this up. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. And um, and yeah, like, uh, let's do this again sometime. Uh, I love thanks Star Trek. So, yeah, thanks for having us. It was fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I love all things nerds. So, oh, uh, yes, yes. Especially Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Live long and prosper. <laughs> you too. Hey, nerds. So thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Irreverent Nerds podcast. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, uh, as always, you can uh, go check us out on Instagram. That's at irreverent underscore nerds, plural. That's at irreverent underscore nerds. We have a Facebook fan page. It's just called the Irreverent Nerds. Uh, we're also on YouTube. Uh, I believe it's still currently Irreverent Nerd. Um, plan to change that eventually to the plural form but if you look up either one you should be able to find us there uh, if you'd like to leave a voice message uh, to be included in a future episode go to anchor.fm forward slash irreverent nerds and uh, there should be a link there to leave a message also if you'd like to support us uh, you could do so for 99 cents a month 4.99 a month or even 9.99 a month we'd be really grateful um, the link is in the same spot as the uh, the voice message there, the anchor.fm. So, until next time, my fellow nerds, live long and prosper. <laughs>